Welcome to Tell Us a Story, the podcast dedicated to the stories that connect us through our shared life experiences, as well as the stories that reveal the sometimes stark differences. Only by truly listening to one another can we bridge the gaps that divide us, fostering empathy, respect, and kindness with one another. In this episode, Erica Duffy shares a deeply personal journey of being diagnosed with and then living with bipolar disorder. Diagnosed in college, she explores forwards and backwards in her life to see not only the challenges, but the positive changes she has been able to make for herself and others. This is a story of hope and strength, but it is not an easy story. Please be aware the topic of suicide is present in this podcast. If you or someone you know is in crisis, you can call or text 988 for immediate support. Other non-crisis resources can be found in the show notes. Now settle in as Erica tells us her story. I was diagnosed when I was 20 years old with bipolar disorder. And I was in my third year of college and everything just kind of fell apart when I went through the process of starting therapy and taking medication. It's interesting now understanding bipolar disorder and looking back to the years I was growing up through middle school and high school, I used to keep a diary and I can go back now and look and say, well, you were in a depressive episode. Oh, you were manic. You, you know, or, or cycling, rapid cycling is very interesting in the sense that you go from anger to frustration, to happiness, to sad, to excitement, like in minute, you know, matters of seconds sometimes with each other. It's just mind blowing how quick those things can happen. And it, it's just interesting to look back and see that. It was a hard time for, for me and for my parents growing up because they were frustrated. I was this wild, stubborn, frustrating child. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of that growing up, but there were some, diff- it was different in that sense because I was having these mood swings and no one understood them. No one really knew how to handle those, those issues. And I remember there was a time where my mom would take me to see a therapist and I think it was more, she was hoping that the two two of us would communicate better. (laughs) So um, that wasn't an ongoing thing and and no one talked to me about taking medication or anything like that. When I was in college, um, I I had ups and downs throughout actually, I mean, through my entire life. There were definitely periods where I thought about suicide and felt that that was the only solution. And, you know, when you're in a place like that, it's it's really, it's so consuming that you can't see past that thought. And, you know, now that I've been through those sorts of things and then I hear about others having feelings of suicide, it's really hard to understand what exactly they're feeling at that at that time. Um, but I had I had cycled into a really bad depressive episode, and I was having trouble going to classes, and I wasn't um, taking care of myself. And I got to a point where I was seriously considering harming myself. And 
I called my mom and I was staying with my aunt and she wasn't there that night, but I called her and they both came and they sat with me. And that was when I first got help. It was uh, very overwhelming, but I was able to get through the classes and finish college and head to Colorado, which is where I ended up um, spending time with my husband before we got married. Uh, my husband and I, we were high school, or we are high school sweethearts and have known each other since middle school. And when I was in college, I was at Hood College in Frederick, Maryland, and he was at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. And so you're trying to navigate this long distance relationship with no texting. We had AOL with dial up. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it was, he got one phone call a week. Um, so we really didn't have a lot of, um, you know, it was hard to communicate, but then having to communicate this, this life-changing situation, that was really hard. We ended up getting married in 2000, and uh, we, he's retired Air Force, so we've been around many different places. But uh, this story is from when we were living in Nebraska. Um, so in Nebraska, we had decided we've been married a couple of years and we wanted to start a family. But one of the concerns that we had was, of course, having bipolar disorder and also taking medication. Neither of us wanted to uh, have me taking medicine while I was pregnant. Um, so that was a big concern, and we started to contact doctors in the area. Um, I found a really good therapist and a good psychiatrist, and with their help, uh, I weaned off of my medications so that I could go ahead and start having a family. Uh, but in that time, I had a lot of really good support. Went ahead and we ended up having a baby, Bridget, um, my first in April of 2004. After she was born, I did not go back on medication. I stayed off of medicine with the thought that we would have another somewhat closer to her as opposed to a long um, separation of time between the two children. And I ended up being pregnant and my son was born in October of 2005. So they were very, very close together. Uh, she was running around like crazy at 17 months and my hands were full with her and he decided that um, nights were days and days were nights, so I was not getting a lot of sleep. My husband had just deployed for 90 days and Noah was just uh, three weeks old. So I had my hands full in the middle of winter in Nebraska where it's snowing and cold. <laughs> um, so I, I started to have um, some issues with postpartum depression. I had a little bit of postpartum depression after Bridget was born, but this time it was much, much worse. The hardest part about having postpartum depression is that you do not want to tell anybody what you're thinking in your head at all. The idea of going to a doctor and telling them something so private and, and terrifying to you, or even to Corey, was really, really hard for me. 
um, the first thoughts you have are they're going to take away my children and uh, who knows, maybe they're gonna put me in jail or um, put me in some sort of institution. I, you just don't know, it's, it's extremely anxiety pr producing. And I was nursing Noah, so I knew that if I wanted to go ahead and start taking medication, I would have to stop, which it was really hard because that was the one connection that he and I solely had, and it was a quiet time where I wasn't dealing with somebody else at, at the same time. So my husband came back from a deployment, and we went ahead and started talking about what was going on with me. Um, and I give him, I give him a lot of credit. He has really grown with me and truly out of everyone that I, I know, knows me the very best and knows how to work with me when I'm having cycles. And, you know, he validates that this isn't something to be ashamed of. This is just something that, you know, is a part of you. And reminds me when I say, I'm feeling fine, I don't wanna take my medicine anymore, <laughs> that that's not a good idea. <laughs> but it's frustrating because when you feel good for months and months and months, you, I wonder, do I really have something that I need to take medication for for the rest of my life? And, you know, after going through the experience, after having both of my children, I can definitely say it's not a good idea. But it frustrates me. I went ahead and started taking medication. And while I was in, I wouldn't say recovery, but as I was starting to feel better, I was looking around for more support in the area. I didn't have any family around. You know, my family all lived in Maryland, and uh, they weren't able to come and visit and um, take the kids for an afternoon or, or whatever it may be. So I needed support and there was nothing in the area, no support groups, no program that was set up or in place. Um, I ended up looking around and there is a, a organization called the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. And they are still around today. They're actually one of the leading national um, organizations focusing on mood disorders. And their programs are peer-based, wellness-oriented support. So their groups do not have a professional running the, the, the group. It's somebody who is bipolar disorder, just like you, and you're sitting in a room and, and talking together. So, I ended up coming across uh, a chapter that was somewhat near where I was living. And the gentleman that I connected with helped me start my own group. That was interesting. Well, first of all, one of the hardest parts was trying to figure out the rules and legalities of, of putting together a nonprofit. The logistics were really a lot of overwhelming information for me, but I felt it was really important for women to have a place to come together and talk, whether it was with, um, if they had a mood disorder or depression or even postpartum depression. So I did probably what was the most scariest thing for me personally, 
And I started telling people I was bipolar. And I started telling people that I had postpartum depression. And it was in a big way. I was interviewed on the local news station. They came to my house. They interviewed me. The newspaper uh, came out and interviewed me as well. And up until that point, I really had just told myself, I don't have bipolar disorder. I don't really need to be taking medicine. There's really nothing wrong with me. When I was first diagnosed, I felt like I had been sentenced to, I mean, it is lifelong, but I really felt sentenced to this uh, relationship with medicine for my whole life. And then on top of that, worrying that, uh, what would people think about me if they knew that I had bipolar disorder? So when I started putting this group together, I mean, I don't think I'd even shared it with friends at that point. My family knew, uh, of course, but that was basically it. And not only was it hard to say, you know, I have this mood disorder that I've always had, but on top of it, this postpartum information, uh, saying I had these things in front of doctors and, and therapists, and um, that was just very difficult. So what I ended up doing, I, I was on the news and the newspaper, I made flyers, uh, I contacted all of the local doctor's offices, the hospitals, and they took my flyers, which had my personal contact number on it, and immediately after the news story aired, I started getting phone calls from people who wanted to come to the meeting. And it, I ran this meeting once a week, for almost two years. It was an hour-long meeting, and what I would do is put together some sort of, not agenda, but something about mental health well-being or something that was in the news that was, you know, being talked about and, oh, you know, how important it is that we exercise or that we're eating well or, you know, how does faith uh, incorporate into, into your peace with your disorder? And it was... It was fascinating. I, I never really thought that women who didn't know me and didn't know each other, how authentic they would be and what really they shared. And again, not being a professional, I mean, just having gone to therapy on my own all those years, sometimes it was really hard to know how to respond to those things. I ended up getting a lot of phone calls to my, my cell. And there were women who were literally on the edge talking to me. And that made me very, very anxious because this person is suicidal. They've, they are at the point where they just can't um, take it anymore. So you offer the resources that are available in the area. You give them people to talk to. And then you just wonder forever <laughs> after the call's over. But I loved it because there was a lot of light and joy and camaraderie in those meetings. And I really miss having that regular interaction with those women because it really is 
hard to be in a position where every day is, your moods can change. Even when you're on medication, uh, they, they keep you sort of, you know, in the middle ground of where you're supposed to be. But things like stress or lack of sleep or um, change all can affect your medication and your moods. So there are times where you're always having to go back and readjust this one and try this new medicine. And it's just a very frustrating cycle. And I think the reason I really wanted to share this too is I have a tremendous amount of concern about mental health awareness and support um, in, in our community. If you need help, you will find that the waiting list for a therapist can be over a year and a psychiatrist even longer. And my children are recently graduated. Uh, my son is a freshman in college and my, so my daughter's a sophomore. But when they were in school, there were three suicides within a year of each other because of being bullied, because of not having uh, mental health care and resources. So I think what I'm trying to do is say, I have these things going on and as uncomfortable as I am to tell you that these things are going on, I want you to know, because if you're going through it, you're not alone. And that was really what I was trying to do with the support group in Nebraska. It's funny now as an adult speaking with my parents and you know, my, my dad and I have talked a lot about the years growing up in high school and the fighting and the stress and the frustration and all the many, many weeks I spent grounded for something I had done. <laughs> it seemed like that was pretty normal to be grounded. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I felt like I was being a bad child and my dad, you know, throughout this journey in my adulthood, understanding more and he he's just so kind to me and and he loved me no matter what and he wasn't frustrated because he didn't like me he was frustrated because he cared about me and he wanted me to be healthy and and well and and happy i think he's kinder to my younger self than i probably am to my younger self <laughs> which it's nice to have him give me some of that peace of mind um, to know that even though life was chaotic, that he didn't want to write me off as a bad person, that he was still proud of me um, with my strong C's and B's <laughs> in school and my, um, you know, crazy emotions. So when someone shares with me that they're struggling, I listen. I think one of the hardest things when somebody is struggling, you want to say, I can fix this, or it's not that bad, or are you really sure it's that way? And you just have to sit there and listen. It's not about fixing the problem. It's about being the person there 
to hear the problem and to just love that person in that moment so that they can share their feelings. And I can't fix anything anyway. <laughs> you know, if somebody's going through a hard time like that, there's, you know, there's nothing I can do. So the only thing I can do is be kind and loving and listen. It was, uh, it's, it was interesting. I actually, uh, so going back to the postpartum depression, um, I was actually recently at an event this year and I was talking with a lady and, you know, she had a new baby and she'd been going through some hard times. And I said, you know, you aren't alone. I, I had those problems too. And she said, you know, really? And I said, yes. And I shared with her the, the very deep, scary thoughts that I was having, things that are hard to admit, period, to myself. And she was so touched and emotional because she knew then that her feelings and the thoughts that she was having that were so horrible, she wasn't alone in having thoughts like that. And that's, I think, how I use my personal experiences in a way to just be there so that somebody's not alone. I think that it is very important to be aware that the person you're next to in the store or your coworker or even your family member may be going through something and they're not telling you. And to just be aware of your words and your actions, take a moment to think, what is that other person going through at the moment? Take a moment to say something to a stranger uh, as they're walking down the aisle in the grocery store and you, I, you, know, you notice that they have a nice dress on and they look you know, really nice and tell them, you look great today, I, I like your dress. That can be a defining moment in someone's day. Something as simple as that could change how their day is going in a good way. Um, I think the more that we are able to be kind and understanding, the easier it will be to start healing um, mental illness. And I hope that by taking a moment to share this very anxiety-producing discussion with you, <laughs> you know, as as hard as it is to share that I have bipolar with you and whoever else happens to listen to this interview, I think it's important that you know that I've been through this and I've gotten through the bad and I've gotten through the good and you're not alone. There are ways to, to get help. And with this journey of having bipolar disorder and trying to heal and be at a healthy place in my life. And then all of the other things that I've encountered, the many people I've encountered with these sorts of issues and just my life experiences, I wouldn't, I can't believe I'm thinking this or I'm gonna say it, but I wouldn't wanna change that I'm bipolar because I think it, it makes me who I am 
and helps me to relate to people in a way that I don't know that I would be able to if I didn't have this internal knowledge of what it's like. I guess it's not a life sentence. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Erica's story. Though this topic is a challenging one, it's important for anyone struggling with mental health challenges to know that they are not alone. And whether or not we know it, we all know someone who is facing a mental health challenge in their life. And sometimes the most beneficial act we can take is to listen with an open mind and an open heart. If you or someone you know is in a mental health crisis, please call or text 988 any time of the day or night. Additional non-crisis resources can be found in the show notes. In addition to this, please review the show notes for more information about this podcast or visit us at tellusastory.info.